Hello, everybody. I'm Tyler Green. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Modern Art Notes podcast. This is our second pandemic episode, our attempt to fill some of the entertainment and information void as we all sit around the house and maybe walk around our neighborhoods. This week, I've talked with two critics about what it's like to do a job that requires you to look at art at a time when none of us can go out and look at art. Uh, my first guest is Christopher Knight. He's the longtime art critic at the Los Angeles Times. He's been on this show before. Earlier this year, he won the 2020 Lifetime Achievement Award in Art Journalism from the Rabkin Foundation, just the second time that award has been given. Then I'll talk with Antoine Sargent. His recent book is titled The New Black Vanguard. It looks at how the featuring of the black figure in fashion, media, and art has increased in recent years. His writing regularly pops up in The New Yorker, The New York Review of Books Daily, and in a whole bunch of other places, too. Christopher Knight first, after some of our friends and colleagues in the art museum sector, share with you what they're offering their audiences while their physical plants are closed. The Museum of Modern Art is bringing its galleries to you with virtual views. You'll find exclusive access to Donald Judd's revolutionary sculptures, Dorothea Lange's impactful photographs, intimate home movies, and more at MoMA.org. Every weekend, they'll take you inside an exhibition or a favorite artwork from the collection through video stories and curator Q&As, as well as audio playlists and feature articles. Virtual Views kicks off this Thursday, April 9th, with Home Movies. Film at MoMA is made possible by Chanel. Learn more at MoMA.org. Hello, this is Jack Becker, Executive Director of the Jaws and Art Museum in Omaha, the largest art museum in the state of Nebraska. Like so many others, our museum is closed right now, but we remain just a few clicks away. Find virtual gallery talks by curators, interactive social media prompts that encourage conversation, and art engagement resources for teachers, parents, and kids, with more being added daily. Find us on social media at Jawson Art Museum or visit our website at jawson.org and click Art From Afar, See You Online. Like many things that have defined our schedules and activities, Tuesday evenings at the Modern must reconfigure. The Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth invites you to join us, as usual, on Tuesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. for Being There, Revisiting Tuesday Evenings at the Modern, a rebroadcast of past lectures on YouTube. Terry Thornton, Curator of Education, will introduce each presentation with an online chat to follow. Visit www.themodern.org for more information. Christopher, hello. Hi, Tyler. How are you? Has anything in your life prepared you for this? <laughs> uh, hopefully everything in my life has prepared me for this, or I won't get through it. <laughs> so what... no, it's, uh, it's definitely odd, that's for sure. So you're used to looking at things and writing about them, What and, and thinking about them as part of writing about them. What do you find yourself thinking and doing when you can't look? It's, re it's really disorienting um, for a, a whole variety of reasons. Um, one of them is that I've always, I've always made it um, a practice not to write about, um, whenever possible, not to write about works of art that I haven't actually physically seen in person um i mean obviously you know the the um cave paintings in southern france i've <laughs> i've not been in and i've written about them um but but by and large uh, um the, the the direct experience of a work of art is is critical to um to what it is for what it's about what it's Meaning is, um, I'm an old John Deweyite. I believe that art is experience, and if you aren't having the experience, um, there ain't no art. So, uh, not having galleries and museums to go to, and having only screens, books, reproductions um, to look at, completely pulls the rug out from under. Um, the the way in which I um, tend to understand art. So 
Um, I, I'm I'm feeling a little uh, a little adrift um, at the moment, and and it's also it it's also for me lo- looking at art. Um, I, I've never subscribed to the idea that art is quote unquote healing. That art heals things. Um, I had a, a professor when I was an undergraduate who used to say, "Art is not aspirin." Um, it's you know it's it, it, it's not something that uh, you know that that uh, that heals a malady, but it is something that can offer solace. And I do have the common experience of uh, you know being um, being in a bad mood, being bummed out, being out of sorts about something, uh, responding to bad news or something, and going out and looking at art. And by the time I'm done looking at art, I feel way way better. Um, so in this current pandemic, uh, where everybody's feeling, uh, bad in one way or another, some of them in a, in dire ways, um, it's, uh, it's an avenue of solace that's been taken away. Um, and, and that's, that's hard to, to deal with, hard to accept. I, speaking of, of Dewey and direct experience, I mean, I, I imagine without being a Dewey scholar that Dewey gets that idea from, in part, Emerson, who who writes about the importance of direct experience and, you know, and, and, and how direct experience is a, a replacement for, say, how the European clergy filters knowledge from a supernatural to a person where a person can go out and have just as valid an experience him or herself anywhere. And I've been thinking about that in terms of not being able to look at, say, uh, the paintings of John Kensett and um, and how I think through art better by sitting in front of it and having specific brushwork or painterly emphasis to think through. And I find that I just have a hard time thinking through paintings at the moment. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, the, I, probably one of the most obvious elements of that is simply something as straightforward as scale. When you're looking at a painting on a screen, uh, you're not experiencing the scale. Uh, you know, it, it, paintings have a, have a physical relation to a spectator. And they tend to be made with that physical relationship in mind. And so, you know, this is something that used to be an issue with slides and um, and transparencies and now JPEGs and now, you know, laptops and now, you know, mobile devices and so on. Scale is obliterated. Scale is just um, not available unless you're there. Um, and th- this is a sort of gross oversimplification of John Dewey, but it, it's not—it's not that the—it's um, not that the painting is the art; it's that the experience of the painting is the art. So, if you can't have that experience, uh, then the art's gone. Um, you can—you can—you can access fragments of the art on a screen, but you can't access the art. Have you tried um, looking at video art, whether on a site like Ubu, um, which makes a lot of early video available to to people watching online, or through, say, uh, the unpassworded sites of or site of Mary Reed and Patrick Kelly? I have not done that, but uh, um, but I may. <laughs> uh, I, I originally, oh God. 30, 40 years ago, I was a complete video maniac um, and watched lots and lots of video. And b- part of that came out from, uh, or ca- came from my initial interests in art in the late 60s and early 70s, simply uh, coincided with the emergence of single channel video. And, you know, I lived, um, went to school in, in upstate New York and Binghamton and um, Shoya Abe and um, people like that had, had built video synthesizers in Binghamton at, the, um, at this workshop there. So, you know, so I, I had a lot of experience um, at the time. The, the, the um, museum in uh, Syracuse had an, uh, a 
a really ambitious early video program. Um, you know, so so I spent a lot of time looking at it then. But one of the one of the dilemmas that video artists were attempting to deal with at the moment was how to bust open the single channel uh, limitations and create um, video that was more of an installation, um, what, what I used to refer to as video fields, um, sort of like field painting, except it was field video. And, and that was largely because the environment in which uh, society had found itself was dominated by um, media, by mass media, and artists were, were you know, trying to, to grapple with that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, t turning into YouTube in some respects feels retrograde, uh, but I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure there's worthwhile um, things to see there, such as uh, Mary Reed Kelly and um, and those kinds of things. One of the oddnesses, I, I mean, I have been watching a good bit of video. Um, I've been kind of going through a Kelly's marathon, um, but also kind of watching stuff on Ubu and on YouTube and um, thinking about how it translates or doesn't translate. And one of the strange things and one of the things that doesn't work so well is I'm watching early video on YouTube on high quality screen rather than on the quality of screen for which uh, the video was produced. It makes something that was uh, in its time avant-garde seem old timey seem seem kind of like um you know listening to a 1930s audio recording and surround sound you know <laughs> yeah that's interesting <laughs> that's interesting that's yeah <laughs> that's like the the early uh namjoon pike pieces that are in yeah vintage uh television sets <laughs> but there's and and that that the design of that vintage set is important to the uh, important to the piece, um, yeah. So, so the the object uh, the object that's related to video can be um, meaningful in and of itself. The, the, this this whole aspect of of uh, camera imagery, I think, is, um, is sort of pertinent for the situation that we find ourselves in now. Um, we we used to. A long time ago, in in the olden days, the the assumption was that you know that photography was transparent. That uh, that when you looked at a photograph, you were seeing the real world, and of course, it took a very long time for people to figure out that that was fallacious. Um, that that there's a, a frame or, around a photograph the same there, same way there is a frame around a painting, and if, for instance, you're looking at a, a a close-up of a, a face that's screaming, you don't know what's outside the picture frame that the person is screaming about, including the possibility that it's simply the photographer uh, instructing the person to scream. Um, or it could be a, uh, uh, you know, a rampaging um, gorilla. You know, who knows what it is? Who knows what the, the cause is? But you know what what's referred to as the indexical relationship between a camera image and the world does exist. There actually is a screaming person standing in front of the lens, uh, but it's uh, it's it, it is one step removed from what the common assumption of what the image in a photograph is um, uh, means. In a digital camera world, um, that indexical relationship has been thrown into turmoil and complete jeopardy because there may never have been anything in front of that lens. It may be a complete fabrication. Um, it may not have any indexical relationship with the world. And, and that kind of that kind of, of slipperiness is one of the things that helped create the political world in which we find ourselves now, where it, an agreement about basic um, fact, um, social fact, um, scientific fact, um, is negligible. 
and you can find a politician like Donald Trump completely inventing um, a a fallacious universe as something real. Um, the, the idea of a reality game show host being the president of the United States is about as digital a thing as I can imagine. And the impact that that has had on creating the um, the coronavirus pandemic is profound. People are dying because of it, um, because of that digital um, reality that we live in now, and we don't we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to um, how to negotiate it. Um, it's a it's a, a pretty disconcerting uh, uh, situation. The irony being that truth was a significant subject of American art going back to the 19th century, you know, much more than it was in Europe, say. Um, and and now we have totally deconstructed the thing in our political climate. True. <laughs> it's a mess. <laughs> it's a mess. So one way I stay in touch with the world of ideas is by going out and looking at art. You know, you can't read everything, you can't see everything. But one thing about contemporary art is you can go look at how uh, our contemporaries are are thinking through a present, the present. In, in the absence of being able to do that, have you found ways to stay engaged with the world of ideas beyond, you know, Twitter and cable news? Uh, well, there are books. Books do exist, and I, I do tend to look at them when I can. Although I've I've found at, at the moment of of social isolation that we're in, I find it um, I find it more more amenable, more interesting to consider um, my own history in a much more personal way. I've been going back and reading bunches of things that I wrote or um, in in a, a couple of cases um, um, projects that I was involved in um, and trying to look at them from a different vantage point from a from a place um, that I'm in now and some of those older things um, hold up pretty well. Some of them are embarrassing. <laughs> Some of them I would like to rewrite. Um, and I've I've begun to wonder uh, about that as a project, um, this kind of personal memory um, um, a aspect of, of uh, I hate to call it intellectual history because I'm not, um, I'm certainly not an academic intellectual of any kind. Um, but but the, the the way in which one used to think compared to the way in which one thinks now, I think is uh, is an interesting uh, an interesting avenue to take. So I've I've started looking at older thing older things that I've I've written in in addition to um, you know r rummaging around in my library for for other things. That's that's interesting because if listeners have. Uh, possibly, probably already heard uh, my conversation with Ursula von Reitingsbart a few days ago, um, and she and I talked about that. And and she said she doesn't and can't go back and look at old stuff. Just she's done with it. Whereas I said I was, I found myself doing that the way you're doing it. Uh, I mean, I've gone back and read what I've wrote about, you know, an individual artist or show fifteen years ago. Or, and and um, this is kind of embarrassing, but, um, you know, I wrote a book that came out a year and a half ago, and um, and I've gone back and read parts of it to see if, or maybe make sure, I still think the things I thought then in regards to other projects I'm working on. You know, did I get, you know, so like as we're, as we're talking today, Mount Auburn Cemetery um, outside Boston is substantially closing um, which is just an amazing, wild, weird thing to think about. In some ways, America's first park, and I think a key genesis of what becomes the national park idea, the explosion of the municipal park idea. Um, and it's substantially closing. 
And so I hadn't thought about Mount Auburn in three or four or five years. Um, and, but I remembered that it's in, um, in, in the book I wrote a year and a half ago, and I went and reread what I wrote about Mount Auburn, hoping desperately that I still thought it was right. And that's, boy, is that a weird experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it's, also, um, it's also strange because, because going back to, to look at those things, for me at any rate, is, is not about um, you know, trying to quote-unquote correct them. Um, and make them perfect, um, which is not possible. Uh, what, one of the things that I, I did recently for, for a, uh, a piece that I just wrote for the Times was look at uh, the art historian Millard Meese and his book on painting in Siena and Florence after the Black Death, and you know, which for me was a really important uh, important thing to read when I was uh, um, in graduate school a long time ago. Um, and rereading it now in the introduction, the the paperback volume I have that I've had since uh, 1974, I think, or 71, 72, something like that. Um, Meese writes in the introduction, the, the book was first published in 1951, and this is a subsequent edition, and Meese talks about um, how scholarship has advanced on Sienese and Florentine paintings since he wrote the book, and how tempting it was for him to go back and fix a whole bunch of stuff in the in the book, thoughts, you know, ideas that have developed and changed and so on, and how he resisted that because um, because it would um, it would presume that he was after perfection when he wasn't. What he was after was informed thought, and thought would continue to be informed even after corrections were made in the book. So he took the opportunity to make some, you know, to to clean up a few a few factual things that had changed. But in terms of the larger theses of the book. He didn't mess with those. He left them as it is, um, and I thought that was an interesting, um, an interesting way to uh, to pursue uh, future revisions. As he said, if you know, if if a wholesale um, revision of the book was necessary, he would start from scratch and write a new book. I have noticed that I have spent more time on museum collection websites. Than, than I had been when I could, you know, drive 83 hours across this vast concrete quagmire that is Los Angeles to the Getty or something. Um, <laughs> some of the, you hate driving here. You just hate driving it's here. Totally true. Uh, totally. True. I love it. It's a great. It, it is what I mean. It driving in Los Angeles is one of the things that I think has has made the social isolation of the uh, pandemic tolerable because I love the alone time in a car um, where you're all alone with tens of thousands of people around you. Um, And that's the way I feel sitting at home at the moment. (laughs) Anyhow, I interrupted. Go ahead. I mean, there's definitely art about that, right? I mean, there's, um, you know, when the V.S. Selman's retrospective was at SF MoMA, there were what one or two paint, one or two of her windshield paintings there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that 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 made me think of that. Well, but also, you know, in 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 recent years, a bunch more European art museums, which have been much slower to put their collections online than American art museums have been, um, have added a bunch of stuff to their collections. And so I've found I've, um, yeah, bounced around collection sites more, um, and have, you know, it's certainly not the same, but it's been a way to kind of remember or have remembered for me things I've forgot, uh, maybe to look at things I might not otherwise have, have looked at. Have you ended up in any collection sites? Has that been an outlet or a? Um, not, not very often. There's been a whole avalanche of, um, of museum sites that, that in, in the last, uh, Two to three weeks have been putting up additional content to you know to give people something to uh, uh, to pursue in relation to the museum when the museum is closed. And you know while while I 
I certainly um, admire the concern and the interest of the institutions to to be of some kind of service to um, to their public and hopefully to new publics. I don't find many of them especially satisfying. Um, in some respects, they just make me even more morose because I can't go to the museum. Um, and, you know, like the the Museum of Modern Art, for instance, is is doing the, this almost daily update of uh, of new online programming, and there are things like you know art making activities for the family. Um, you know, if if I had a couple kids at home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the moment, since they can't be in school, I would probably be thrilled to have that. But since that's not the situation I'm in, I just don't pay any attention to um, uh, to it. I do. I do w w w find myself when I'm when I'm thinking about something in in particular. I find myself going to uh, museum collection sites and rummaging around in them, looking to see if something fits. And as, as I mentioned, I, I recently wrote something about the the Millard Meese uh, bubonic plague uh, book, and I immediately thought of uh, uh, Bernardo Dadi uh, painting the, the Getty owns. And so I went on the website and I was looking at the at the painting and, and Dadi, Bernardo Dadi of course was a, a student of, of Giotto and, and r really fit into what it was I was going to be writing about the Millard Meese book. And in the course of rummaging around on the side I stumbled upon an, uh, another painting that I had completely forgotten about um, that uh, turned out to be a genre, a Madonna of humility, um, that takes up an entire chapter of Millard Meese's book. And I'd completely forgotten about it and probably wouldn't have thought of this little painting. It's a small little uh, uh, devotional painting. I wouldn't have thought of it if I hadn't been um, burrowing around in the Getty's website. So it can be a productive thing to do. And, uh, and, uh, and that little... Uh, that little painting is now more important to me than it was uh, before. We're only, you know, three-ish weeks into um, this interregnum. Oh, God help. <laughs> <laughs> and we, yeah, we don't know how much longer it's going to last. <laughs> Have you started thinking about whether or how this period will change your practice? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I have started wondering how it's going to change artists practice. Um, and I don't even quite know what I mean by that, but something of this magnitude is definitely going to reverberate throughout the entire, um, uh, cultural landscape for a very long time. It's it's just impossible for it not to. So I'm curious to see in what ways that will happen. Uh, I've I've written that, that just on a very simple level. There's now a whole group of artists who you know very few artists can make a living off their work. So most artists have other jobs, and sometimes they're in art related fields. Sometimes you know like being a of a teacher, or sometimes they're in completely unrelated fields, you know, like working in a department store. Um, if you're no longer at work and you're home, you are now spending a whole lot more time in the studio than you were before. So in this time of of impoverishment, there's also this luxury of um, of studio time for more artists than uh, have ever been able to partake of it in my lifetime, at least. Uh, and I'm curious to see what will come out of that. Um, in in terms of in terms of writing, um, I don't really know how it would change things, except to the degree that it might change publishing platforms. Uh, which have have been um, 
I think that's been the the big issue about our criticism for a long time. People, you know, people periodically write columns about is our criticism in crisis, and I've always thought that was a pretty silly way of looking at it. Art criticism is not in crisis. Publishing is in crisis, um, and they're two different things. Writing is different from from publishing. Um, so I suspect that the publishing end of, of writing will have a much uh, um, much likelier chance of being different when this is over um, than the writing itself. You know, the way this thing, this pandemic, influences media might be that it accelerates the trend toward audio. I mean... I, I know that people have, I, I can see in the download stats for, for this podcast that the numbers have just skyrocketed um, as people both access old shows on their own, but also as university professors and college teachers have been unable to assign reading maybe in the usual way that they've been pointing students to, um, to podcasts and, and to our show. Um, and so maybe one of the migrations that happen is a move away from the textual and toward the audio. Maybe maybe we're all missing the. Maybe we should be doing spoken criticism. Maybe we will be doing spoken criticism in five years and less textual criticism. I mean, yeah, I, like you, I know I've I've always tended to hear that crisis of criticism as being more about um, you know a crisis of no one is reading me than, than about the. <laughs> The, the, the field as a whole. Um, the, the one thing that it, that it struck me about this moment in criticism is if there were, I mean, you know, we can't look at art, right? But here's like this rare moment in the art world, especially the American art world of the 21st century, where the market has necessarily has had to recede. You know, the market, because we can't go places and because, you know, rich people are off on their yachts off the Grenadines rather than hanging around Larry's place. The the market has been forced to recede a bit, right, from from its position of centrality in the American art world. And I don't know if there's a way for critics and criticism to assert themselves, given that some of the same limits apply to critics and as, as they do to collectors. That That is something I guess I've kind of wondered about. Yeah, that's... That's a good question. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine it, uh, it receding too far without a colossal economic collapse, um, which is right. not something I'm hoping for. Oh, I think it'll be back. I think it'll be back. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's the case. About podcasts, though, you know, podcasts have become a thing within the, you know, in in all kinds of of. Um, uh, ways not not just uh, art podcasts, but um, you know, true crime podcasts are a, are a big deal. Uh, the LA Times has has uh, been partially responsible for for that phenomenon, um, and comedy podcasts, and you know, all, all kinds of things like that. So while while that's been taking place in the last couple of years, and I, and your podcast is you know one of the um, one of the oldest, uh, it's a grandfather of the phenomenon, I guess you could say. For, for me, podcasts have, have been sort of difficult be, to, to access because a podcast determines the time investment. We're uh, looking at um, text. I feel more in control of the time investment. And if something's not working out when I'm looking at a text, I can change the text. With a podcast, I'm always terrified that if it's uh, if it's not sounding as as good as I was hoping, I better stick with it because maybe something great will be coming up, but I'm not in control. So I have to sit there and listen to the whole thing and either have uh, have my hopes uh, um, um, dashed or confirmed. Um, so the present moment has given me more time to listen to podcasts, which I hadn't been able to do before because the time demands of the newspaper are such that uh, I, I just couldn't turn myself over that way to to someone else's uh, uh, clock. Um, 
So I have been listening to more podcasts at the moment. Whether that would uh, sustain itself once this pandemic uh, recedes is hard to say. I don't know whether it would become more of an addiction. I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious to see if when this is over, there are more art podcasts. I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I've always, well, I don't know about always, but I, I think there are fewer podcasts about art than one might otherwise expect. And I wonder if that will uh, change coming out of this. When, when did you, when did you start the podcast? 2011, I think. 2011, yeah. Um, yeah, it... and there, you know, and m- m- most of the art, po- art podcasts I've heard, you know, institutional, um, institutionally produced uh, things tend to be relatively short, um, whereas yours is not. Yeah, I mean, my idea in 2011 was to do the New York Review of Books of Art podcasts and to let people go long form, which is which aligns with my my you know in depth is kind of what I enjoy more than soundbite and run. And, um, oh, I don't know, our biases or our preferences manifest these things. I mean, you know, I wrote, I wrote a book that was very long, although I'm, I'm glad that Blake Gopnik's new Warhol biography is so long that no one will think of my book as having been long. <laughs> well, it's harder, it's harder to write short. It's more time-consuming to write short than it is to write long. So, you know, because you, you, you really have to know what you're talking about and how to, how to uh, pack things. Uh, when you're when you're writing short, so you know there, there's virtue in that kind of brevity. Yeah, some someday I'll write a book about an artist who who had only a 12 year career instead of a 40 year career, and that that seems right. like that'll be really nice. <laughs> Christopher, thank you. Okay, take care. Wash your hands. Hello, this is Roxana Velasquez, the Maruja Baldwin Executive Director at the San Diego Museum of Art. The doors of our museum are temporarily closed, but access to the arts remain open and alive, digitally and virtually. During this unprecedented time, SEMA continues to provide access to magnificent works of art, special performances, and behind-the-scenes video, all accessible from home. Experience virtual tours, listen to audio clips by our curators, and watch in gallery ballet performances on our YouTube channel and on the SEMA mobile app. Explore our extraordinary collection of Spanish old masters, Zurbaran, El Greco, Murillo, Goya. Visit our exceptional Giorgione, journey through miniature Indian paintings from the Edwin Binney collection, and much more. We look forward to welcoming visitors from around the world back to the museum's gallery soon. In the meantime, enjoy virtual SDMA on our website at sdmaart.org to stay connected, engaged, and continue to be creative. Nearly 100 years ago, our founder, Duncan Phillips, opened the doors of his home as a memorial gallery following the deaths of his father in 1917 and his brother, James Lachlan Phillips, during the influenza pandemic in October 1918. Believing in the power of art to provide solace and healing, Phillips urgently wanted to make his home and his collection a beneficent force in the community, a place of welcoming, gathering, a place for the dynamic exchange of ideas. For nearly a century, we have embraced his vision. As the coronavirus continues to evolve and develop, more and more people find themselves in uneasy isolation at home. While we are more and more aware of the physical distance that separates us, we need to feel we are not alone. Art institutions around the world are pivoting to increase accessibility and make their collections and special exhibitions available digitally. The Phillips Collection is no different, and during this time of social distancing, we are offering a number of resources online to provide opportunities for virtual connection through our website and social media channels. Please visit the museum's Instagram Phillips Collection and YouTube channel 
for gallery-by-gallery -gallery video experiences of the wonderful exhibition Rifts and Relations, African-American Artists and the European Modernist Tradition. It's truly an exhilarating um, exhibition. and uh, makes me very sad that you can't visit the galleries in person. On our Instagram TV channel, we are pleased to offer a series of American Sign Language videos, Signing the Phillips, to reach the deaf, deaf and hearing impaired community, as well as updates to Work From Home series, which features thoughts and impressions from local art community partners and artists, including views of their workspaces and what inspires them during times of isolation and quarantine. You can explore additional online activities on our website, philipscollection.org, including educational activities, craft ideas, projects, and materials for families. Duncan Phillips recognized how colors and forms come together to take us out of the boundaries of self. Although the doors are temporarily closed, uh, the Phillips Collection hopes to reach people as meaningfully as possible through digital means. Art has always been a source of beauty in the world and can lift us up in these challenging times. We very much look forward to opening our doors again as soon as we can and welcoming all of you back to experience our art in person. From the Des Moines Art Center, through its collections, exhibitions, and educational programming, the Des Moines Art Center provides opportunities for transformational art experiences. This week, the Art Center launched seven virtual tours of their permanent collections and special exhibitions. Visitors across the globe can walk through galleries of contemporary art housed in three buildings designed by world-renowned architects, and peruse special exhibitions featuring the artworks of Hedda Stern, Carla Black, and more, all at desmoinesartcenter.org slash visit slash virtual tours. The tours were produced in partnership with EMC insurance companies. Antoine, welcome. Thanks for having me. What does a critic do when looking at art is not much possible? I, I was, you know, kind of doing some more working on an um, essay for a Yinkashir Bari um, show that's hap that hopefully is happening um, in the late summer um, in Europe. Um, and I, you know, so I was entertained kind of with that um, for the kind of the first few days. But, you know, then I, 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 you know, I've largely been using this moment to kind of read all of um, the things that um, I don't get to read for fun. So reading other critics, um, reading, um, you know, the some seminal texts, you know, um, Douglas Kremp's, you know, pictures um, and, you know, other things that. I was like, oh, I would, you know, you would read, um, you know, for work or on background or whatever, but not just kind of, you know, just sitting with and, you know, in some ways savoring the language and, you know, the images. And um, and, and so, you know, I've, I've been, you know, using this moment in short, I've been using this moment to, you know, look at um, the works that other, you know, colleagues um, are doing in this moment and who have, you know, have done, you know, um, um, you know, years past, decades past, um, just to kind of, you know, get a, a, a you know, a deeper read on the field, but also um, think about, um, you know, the ways in which, you know, um, others are seeing um, our moment, right? And so um, I, I've largely been trying to do that. I haven't, I haven't um, been looking so much at um, any art. I've just been kind of trying to um, better understand um, art criticism. I mean, that's what I've been, do been doing too. I don't, I don't um, get to see a lot on a daily basis anyway. Moving around LA is, where I live is, you know, not particularly possible, especially on weekdays. So I, I don't. Uh, and I've been doing that reading thing too um, and have been it's, enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's been kind of really interesting is that, um, like I've just been allowing the reading, you know, to lead me to different, you know, um, people, right. That, 
um, that, you know, might have be referenced in a footnote or might um, a work of art that might be referenced. And so, um, you know, I can start off reading something and I can kind of end up in a totally different space. And it really kind of takes me back to kind of how um, to kind of high school and how I read during high school when I just had significant more time. Um, and, you know, as someone who, you know, because I, you know, I, was, I live in New York and you do get to see a lot, you know, kind of um, in the opposite way. Right. Um, and so that has been kind of um, really it's in some ways difficult and also just kind of a, a, a reset. But um, I, you know, before it all um, before the city set down, shut down, I really kind of had a sense that like we probably are going to, you know, things are probably going to shut down. Um, and so I went um, to uh, Chelsea, you know, a couple of went now, it's, I mean, maybe uh, three weeks ago now, um, and saw um, a great deal of shows and took a lot of pictures. Um, and like have, I have also been drawn to the, to my kind of camera roll to see kind of like in moments of, you know, kind of, you know, despair to kind of think about the world, you know, that I, you know, live in and think about, you know, the, the life that I've been leading, you know, um, and to kind of, um, in some ways, using those images um, of art, of, you know, moments, you know, um, birthdays and, you know, dinners of, you know, playing, being on planes and things like that to kind of think about, you know, um, the life that, you know, uh, that I've been leading as a critic, as a as someone who, um, you know, uh, organizes exhibitions, etc., um, and to think about, you know, what 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 changes, you know, um, after this, you know, at the moment, I, I the, the feeling that I've been having um, is one of like, um, you know, when I get to go back out and I get to be social, um, it's just to kind of really um, be really, you know, precious in terms of where and how I'm spending my time and making sure that like it is the shows I want to see. Um you know, it is the, you know, speaking engagements or what, what have you, you know, because I think that, that, um, that's one thing that like, I've just been super reflective about is, is, is how, um, of what type of, you know, kind of, um, kind of looker, um, I want to kind of be out, you know, on the opposite side of this, you know, on the other side of this. I've thought about that a lot. I mean, one of the, one of the frustrations I've had with the contemporary art world for a lot of years now, and one of the reasons I stopped writing criticism and started writing history instead was that it seemed to me that there was this market driven commercial gallery driven imperative by which volume of seeing became valued more than volume and quality of thinking. People were, are um, obsessed with seeing the most they could rather than understanding and thinking about what they'd seen um, and which is inevitable when the market imposes 83 art fairs every five minutes um, and when commercial gallery shows are, you know, up for three weeks. And and there is a there is a, a thinking interregnum. I think I, I, I yes, I think that's very true. I think people are rewarded in that, like in the fact that they're seeing so much and they're be and not only that they're seeing so much that they're being seen, seeing that. Much, right. Because I think that other mechanism has to be at play that, like, you know, one day you are, you know, you, we have, you know, entire curatorial careers built on this, you know, this kind of idea, right, that this person is seemingly everywhere and nowhere, right? And so there's this idea that, like, they know exactly what's going on because they are in one week they're in, you know, somewhere in you know, Asia and next week they're somewhere in Africa and then they're home for a day and then they're all, you know. And so it, it, it does. It, I, I agree with you that there, there is this. There's been this value placed on, um, on you know, seemingly always traveling and always being on the road. You know, um, I also I think in this moment I've also kind of, I've I've come you know back to kind of this idea of like um, climate change. You know, and 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 what that might not saying that there is a direct link between this virus and climate change, but rather that like, if we continue to kind of, um, desert these type of consumption patterns, this sort of, you know, isolation will also kind of happen, right? That, that's that, that, you know, people that, that we would have to kind of, um, have our social 
um, lives disrupted in major ways, right? And so, and so that has also it has. I've also kind of been thinking about that of like how might other um, events, you know, swimming out of our control, alter you know the lives that we live, right? And where we live those lives, and how we can live those lives, and you know, and all these things. And so, it is also in some in a weird way maybe led me to climate change, but also to kind of, you know, basic human rights, <laughs> you know, like, so things like, a, you know, um, a modern health system and um, making sure that people are protected and, and things like that. And so um, I've, you know, I maybe have consumed way too much of the news and I am trying to kind of think about a better strategy, but I, but I, it has kind of in some ways, made those um, the, the, that climate change and, and kind of a health care and health systems um, a, a bit more kind of in the front of my mind, you know, yeah, like just like the, the sheer kind of randomness has kind of made me kind of think more and more about um, how, you know, we're protecting our, ourselves and how we are going to protect um, and have to, you know, protect our planet. Do you think the pandemic will find its way into your work, either in terms of what you write or what you look at and want to write about? Yeah, I mean, I think that at the moment it's a little, I think I'm still kind of adjusting, you know, to the reality in some ways in terms of how do I work in a moment like this and what I kind of work about, you know, what I kind of write about or what, how, what type of kind of shows I kind of engage, you know, I, I do think that it will, in, you know, un, undoubtedly affect us all, you know, in some way or another. Um, I don't know if, if the, if that effect will be a one-to-one, -one, meaning me writing about kind of, I, I've seen certain critics and I've, been, I've, 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 you know, have certainly enjoyed it write about, um, you know, artworks that um, kind of have either predicted a moment like this or, or think about um, some of the social aspects of moments like this, right? And so and I've been seeing kind of that sort of kind of pandemic criticism, art criticism kind of pop up, right? Mm -hmm. Which has been interesting and, you know, a fascinating read on, you know, those works, right, that had previously not been considered in these contexts. But, you know, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I really, as someone who is always thinking about the social in kind of my writing, I imagine that, like, you know, the art that is produced after this moment will have to, will, will probably deal a great deal with pandemics and, you know, in this moment. So therefore, the writing will also then reflect, you know, the pandemics and this moment that we're living through. One one thought I've had is that depending on how long this thing lasts, the art's going to have to be smaller. <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> right, if, right. if, if yeah. you don't have access to, if, if you as an artist don't have access to the same materials or the same volume of materials, if or the you are, same amount of money, right? Or, like, right, or or, the, or just the same yeah. working spaces. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're working at home um, or in a small home adjacent or at home studio, the scale will necessarily be different. Yeah. Or also, I mean, the idea of what the mount, you know, the market, you know, um, will buy, you know, and what the market will appreciate, you know, um, after this would also, I think will also kind of affect, um, in some ways what galleries sell and what artists, you know, essentially uh, make, right? And so I'm not saying that it will, will play, you know, kind of um, a a kind of outsized, you know, um, uh, role. But I, I do think that, you know, it's just like when, when galleries start opening in Chelsea and the works got bigger and bigger and bigger because there was more, you know, kind of space. Um, I, I think that like those conditions will also affect um, the art that we see, right? The, the, just in terms of whether, you know, gallery, by all accounts, you know, fewer galleries will, will exist after this, you know, depending on how long this goes on after this moment, fewer institutions to show that work, um, will exist after this moment, depending on how long it goes. And so that affects, I think, how, you know, the way that, that we will consume and what we will consume as viewers, as, you know, people who love art. One thing I've noticed in my own life in the last three weeks, um, as I sit here facing um, the same window, uh, is that I'm talking with 
colleagues uh, a lot less than I was before. I'm even emailing less with many of them because because um, I know they're dealing with children or whatever. I mean, I, 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 I know that there are a range of complications to the present, right? Are there ways in which not having normal social interactions will change what you're interested in or what you write? I always, I don't, you know, I always feel like writing is such a, I feel that, I mean, I guess, frankly, I feel that way whenever I'm writing to begin with, I feel like I have to totally <laughs> isolate myself. And it's, it's kind of like, there's this, you know, there's this, um, there's just, just kind of like almost antisocial behavior that, that kind of is necessary for me to write. And, and so I, I think that that probably won't change because I, 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 if I'm just being honest, you know, that, that has been the experience of, of, of writing, you know, but I, but I, what I do think will probably change is what I'm willing to spend my time on and what I'm willing to kind of, you know, comment on, um, the, uh, the assignments I'm willing to kind of take on. I, I really do think that immediately after this, I think that like, you know, there has to be some recognition of like the things that matter and what don't and, and, you know, and, I, and I've been doing that, you know, kind of over the years, you know, it's like from, I think my, over the years, I think my writing has just gotten more focused, you know, and I think that that's because I have really tried to think about, um, the type of artist that I want to kind of be in conversation with or the type of artist I want to write about or the type of, you know, engagement I want to have, you know, um, and I just, I mean, I, I, to me, in my mind, I mean, like, I, I'm, I think that like to write well about an artist's, you know, project or, you know, is to really kind of understand the history behind, you know, you, you, you talked about kind of making that shift, you know, to understand the history behind the gestures or the social, aspects of that artist's works and so i think it, it is in some ways slowed me down anyway and so i i think that like if anything it helps me to this moment will help to kind of continue that process of like just being really kind of um thoughtful about what and who i'm you know kind of writing about i wonder if every critic now has a book proposal that they're getting to think about and finish <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm like, I was like, this is, I was like, I, I, I no, I'm not. I mean, I just went through the process of writing a recent book, and so I, I mean, I'm still in that, I'm still in that phase of, um, of like PTSD, you know, <laughs> like, like going through that for the first time. I'm like, uh, this is not. Like, I'm like, uh, I don't know if I can do this again immediately, but I do think that like that that I imagine those who have not done it and or those who have been doing it for a really long time, this could be a moment of um of great productivity. And yeah. You know, I think one of the things that has I've just been totally trying to focus on in this moment is the things that I don't get to do in my normal as a you know, as kind of you know working, I don't get to do. And I, I think that like I always feel like I'm reading constantly because I am, you know, for for, for different pieces and, and doing research and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't ever feel, I mean, it's been very few and far between where I was like, Oh, I can sit and I can read the, you know, some not, you know, fiction and I can read this and I can read these kind of other things. And I don't necessarily have to have any kind of skin in the game, right? I don't have, it doesn't add to an artist's profile. It doesn't add to kind of a history of art that I, you know, didn't know about. It doesn't, I can, I can sit here and I can, read about you know right now i'm i'm reading kafka on the beach by mara kwame and i'm just like i can just you know get into you know the 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 kind of this fiction and the way the writing and just you know the story and i, I think that like i didn't realize how necessary that was for me until this moment that kind of allowed me to be able to have that space for that sort of kind of reading and so hopefully you know, when this is all over, I can kind of carve out space for that. Because I think that like, you know, in, you know, the the, the current art world where we're, you know, current constantly on flights and constantly, you know, kind of zipping around the world, you, you really you know, don't get time to kind of think about kind of certain things that you need outside of, you know, the work that kind of helps to sustain um, who you are beyond it, you know, and so I, I've been thinking a lot about that, actually, as well, like, the, you know, what what people call kind of self care practices 
that you know kind of divorces or uh, detaches uh, who you are from things that you can produce, right? And like productivity and, and things like that. And you know, and online, you've been seeing a lot of like you know working out and doing all these kind of things that that are really still, I think, attached to this idea of productivity, right? And so I've been trying to kind of give that in some ways a rest and really kind of think about what a kind of progressive self-care practice might look like in this moment for me, per, you know, personally, that might help to kind of sustain who I am, you know, beyond this moment. Yeah, I found that having um, empty time, um, because I'm not driving to a research library, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, on my way to an airport or whatever, you know, has definitely created ec- extra hours in the day. Uh, you know, a couple nights ago, I got to thinking about Saint Jerome, the mm-hmm. the Catholic saint who removed himself from the city and went into the wilderness to translate uh, the Bible into Latin, um, and how you know we are all now kind of Jerome, right? We've all had to leave our usual working places and our homes are our wilderness. And so I just went through a bunch of the the not to cut you off, but have you seen the Titus Kafar's works Jerome Project that is based on Saint Jerome? Oh no. You you have to yeah you have yeah. to see it. yeah it's a really interesting twist on that kind of Byzantine story, um, but go ahead sorry yeah I mean I've just been enjoying kind of it's you know so I went to you know a bunch of museum websites you know museums with big print collections like the National Gallery or the Art Institute or the Welcome Collection um, and just downloaded a couple hundred Jerome images and and started thinking about how artists had portrayed that moment of isolation and kind of thinking about it in terms of my own isolation at this moment. And there were a bunch of images that just didn't do anything for me because they were devotional. And mm-hmm. I mean, I get that as a response to the story and I understand why in various points in Catholic and Reformation history artists were doing that. But, you know, the ones that caught my eye were, were, were the ones showing Jerome working, mm-hmm. showing, showing Jerome just finding a way to get through and and yeah, so I thought of those a lot. And so I, you know, I, I normally, as I work on kind of the Civil War period in my day to day writing and research practice, you know, Jerome isn't something that comes up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that has also kind of been a really interesting, um, like, in having kind of more time is to kind of think about like the works that you know you. I, I'm a I I. I am a I mostly I consume a lot a lot a lot of um articles usually because just reading you know through things and you know it'd be like things I would I, you know after you've looked at the New York Times art section or you know the New York Review of Books or whoever 3,000 times but a 3,030th time you know you're like maybe I will click on that, you know that that other piece <laughs> that I that I seemingly am not normally gravitated towards, but maybe it'll, you know maybe maybe it's something interesting. And so I've been also doing a lot of that. I'm like out of my you know kind of day to day kind of purview. I was just like, oh, that's an interesting piece, or that you know, or so and so, or going back and reading articles on uh, you know um, you know uh, I was just reading Greg Tate on Basquiat, like a year after he died, 1989 article in uh, The Village Voice. And I was like, and it was so kind of striking because like his concerns around Basquiat's death really kind of mirrors um, a lot of concerns that people still kind of echo about the art world or the art market, you know, today. Right. And I was like, wow, that's kind of, an, you know, like it's, 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 it was just so also interesting in this moment, I guess. And what I want to say is it's interesting in this moment of like how much, Things has seemingly changed, you know, seemingly changed, but also stayed the same, you know. And I think that like reading these kind of, you know, reading across criticism across the last, you know, kind of few decades, I've, you know, as I've been doing, you know, kind of sporadically, you know, in this time, is to see just like how much the concerns have been the same over the, you know, this this period. And so I hope that like, you know, when we come out of this we don't just repeat ourselves, you know, we don't repeat, you know, our, act- our actions. We don't, you know, this doesn't inspire us, for example, to get on even more planes because of, uh, we because we're locked down, you know, for um, several weeks or several months, you know, and so I hope that like, you know, that it is inspiring um, 
our best selves and not, you know, <laughs> our worst kind of, you know, impulses of consumption. But I've also I've just also been thinking about that, about like, will this moment um, lead to a re reactionary moment, you know, um, given the politics, right, that in which we're living through, you know, you, you those. So, so I think I've also, if I'm being, you know, kind of completely honest, I've also kind of drifted, you know, there as well, you know, about about whether or not we can, you know, kind of rise to meet the moment, given um, the ways in which the news, you know, has also impacted these kind of moments of quarantine or social isolation. Yeah, I've lost a lot of faith in <laughs> institutions of American life, including the yeah. Washington-focused news media. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, the last question I've asked everybody as we've done these bonus episodes is the same one I'm going to ask here. Do you think in terms of, I can't wait to do fill in the blank when this is all over? I don't know. I, so I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't <laughs> gotten to, I can't wait to. But I, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten there and I haven't gotten there because I think this last year for me personally just has been probably the busiest I've ever been. And so the first, I will admit the first week I was like, this is great. You know, <laughs> like I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything, you know, but I, there is, there has, there has been moments though of just utter disbelief of that, like the world has, you know, you know, stopped, you know? And I think that like, that's where I'm at right now of, uh, of just kind of, of, you know, of this, you know, pandemic um, and this, you know, socially, you know, distancing myself is I'm just in awe that we have all stopped and, and we, we could use this moment um, for reflection. And so I've just been trying to use the moment for, you know, this, kind of looking within, you know, this search for self, this thinking about, you know, who I want to be beyond this moment, you know, and there, there hasn't really been a, a, uh, a, a kind of that desire to, I can't wait to do this. It really has been just a, there's almost been like, this just like serenity of like reflection you know, that reflection brings. And so that's where I'm at now. I, I, I can't tell you, well, I'll be two hours from now because the, <laughs> the, you know, the, 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 I think part of this has been also, has also been this kind of just wild, you know, kind of swinging back and forth of uh, emotion and perspective. And so I, I'm, I'm just kind of taking it really kind of hour by hour and, you know, trying to just use the time to, in some ways, just become, you know, a better person and a, a better, you know, critic by, you know, reading those who came before me, because I think that is just so important. You know, history is so important to any, you know, uh, writing practice. I am, I am definitely loving the uh, reading time I'm getting. Antoine yeah, Sargent, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs>